trust me in that. And let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6. And in winning faith projects, one of the things that we looked at right from the beginning is that the Lord uh, very much wants us to win and triumph and increase. And we see that in the Word. This is not just a Western thought. This is actually in the Word uh, where it talks about Jesus continued to increase in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He's our example. Uh, he shows his increase in the parable of the talents where he uh, sows seed. And what does God want? And what does he hold us responsible to do with seed? Increase it, right? And to see it increase. Uh, then you see uh, in 2 Corinthians 2.14, you know, but thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph. So the heart of God is for us to increase in triumph all the time, and we need to understand that. So in winning faith projects, we also understand that if he's always leading us to triumph, that means he's never leading us to defeat. So when we come into a faith project, what does the Lord want from us? He wants he wants us to win, you know. He wants he wants increase, and so y'all are pretty familiar with this. Uh, but just you know, real quickly, I would highly recommend. By the way, uh, if you didn't see last week, you need to see last week because there was an anointing on that for this uh, that I think will really help you. And uh, tonight, just I want you to get your questions ready. We're gonna uh, have have any questions that you have about this process. Uh, so be, be thinking about those. Uh, Barrett will run the mic around. But right here, we're in a race, okay? Now, if we're in a race, we have a responsibility. And if we're in a race, uh, somebody that's running a race, do they carry uh, a weight, so to speak? Yeah. Well, they do, but the question is, who's carrying it with you and for you? You see, they should give that to Christ, but they are partnering with Christ to move down the race of life along with his power so that we can accomplish tasks for him and be a good ambassador. So in this race, one of the things, the first thing that happens is you come up to a place where God gives you a faith project. And in that, he'll give you a word. He'll give you a promise out of the, out of the word. He'll tell you, you know, maybe you're believing for healing. Maybe you're believing for finances. Maybe you're believing for restoration. Maybe you're believing for protection, uh, deliverance. Maybe it's, you know, salvation when you first get born again. May, there could be a number of things and other, you know, sub items in those groups. The question is, what is the Lord leading me to? What has he said about it? And you're going to find that God's going to give you vision for that thing. Uh, one of the faith projects is to help the vision of the church. That means that you, you know, make it a priority in your life. That's actually one that's an ongoing thing. How many people have ever been challenged on that vision in their life to be a part of a church and carry out the mission? Me, you know, and, and I'm the pastor. You know, but, you know, everybody's challenged at times because their faith is challenged. But that's one of the winning faith projects. But you'll find any promise in the word 
can be a part of this vision. A lot of times when we receive that and it becomes revelation to us, we get very excited about that and, you know, we're just all happy. And then several weeks, months, years goes by and we're not quite as excited as we were the day that God gave us that project, gave us that vision, gave us that promise. A lot of times what happens is we stop meditating on the word, we focus on the cares of the world, and all of a sudden the, that vision and the fruit is choked because we're not esteeming the promises of God. We'll focus on uh, the negatives in a situation. We'll do all kinds of things. All of a sudden when that vision starts to diminish, now the flesh really kicks it in high gear and starts to say, you can't win this faith project. You can't win it. And uh, it comes to those things that we've talked about several times. I can't do this anymore. It's too much. I don't know what I'm going to do, and I'm done, you know. And so what happens is we a lot of times have exited the race of God, and for just a brief second our flesh feels relief because our flesh and the Spirit are always warring, and what the Spirit was trying to hold on and, and have faith and patience to see that faith project won, now it's, you have let go of that vision, let go of that promise, and the, and the flesh who was pulling against the spirit goes, ah. And so for a split second, you have a relief, not in your spirit, but in your flesh. And most people are led so much by their flesh that that's life to them. That's that's what they're really living for is whatever the flesh will tell them. So they'll feel that relief, but right behind that comes the conviction of the Holy Spirit because he loves you. He's going to correct you. If you miss it, you get off of his path, he's going to correct you. He's going to, but why? Because he loves you. Because on his path is the only place where the fullness of his salvation can be in your life. So then comes the condemnation where your flesh and the devil uh, makes it just so very plain that you missed it and tells you how bad you are. And eventually, if you know something, that can last for as long uh, as you uh, sit in it. The more revelation you have that God and in Christ you have no more condemnation, the shorter that period of time will be. And then God starts to heal you, restore you. But he's going to bring you right back around here because the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Right. So in other words, if he's called you to win that faith project along your race, it's not going to change. Right. You're going to come right back around here. Why? Because your provision is in the vision of God. Your provision is in the word, it's in the promise, it's in the plan that God has for you. So God's not going to bring you back around and say, well, let me give you a di different plan because I'll, it changed now. No, God saw what you were going to do and now he's bringing you right back around here and you will, you know, we'll call that going around the mountain. I, I know that in my life, there's certain items I went around the mountain more times than I can count and man, it just, it just kicked my tail. And I don't want to go around any mountain. I don't want to fall into that trap, cycling around uh, that condemnation and conviction that I missed it anymore. I just want to run the race with as much power and as much efficiency as I can. And that should be the goal of each one of us, knowing that if God's given us that vision or that promise, that's the best thing for us. 
And so this is what we've been talking about. We've talked about how to, uh, we talked about last week, know your position, believe the promises, you must maintain hope, don't go, uh, don't grow weary, I'm mixing, don't go weary, don't grow weary, set sin and temptation aside, Take your thoughts captive. In other words, think on things worthy of praise, not on things that would pull you down. They may be a fact. Things in your life may be a fact. Uh, For example, let's say you have tragedy in your life or maybe you're you're making a transition and and facts are there's pieces that are going to be sad for me. That can be true, but don't focus on those. Focus on what is worthy of praise. That's where we dwell. Take those thoughts captive. Set your eyes on Jesus. You set your eyes on Jesus and what's worthy of praise, and all of a sudden what will happen is you will stop seeing the stuff that's not worthy of praise. Okay? You'll you'll see only what's worthy of praise. Resist uh, sin and temptation to the point of death. In other words, take your resistance to sin, take your resistance to temptation all the way as far as you... Make it an absolute. I'm going to resist. That's what that means. I'm going to absolutely resist all sin and all temptation, even if it takes me to my death. I'm going to go out. If it takes me to my death, I'm going to go out resisting that mess. I'm not going to carry the weight of it. And then be patient and persevere and repeat. And what we really talked about is, you know, once you start learning how to win faith projects, you basically put the exact same principles in place no matter what the project is. And then once you've won one, two, three, four, five, twenty, you've got a bunch of them to look back on and gain hope from. And it makes the ones in your future easier. So now you're able to take on even bigger faith projects and do more for the kingdom of God and be focused on him. So that is pretty much what we've talked about for however long we've talked about it. And uh, so what? Since March. That's awesome. We're almost in June. We are in June. (laughs) We are in June. That's good. So questions. If you got a question, raise your hand. And... um, I know we'll have some. I need one person to be the one right out of the gate so we don't have a bunch of blank. There we well, I, is there one person besides Deb? Because I knew she was going to have a question. <laughs> Just kidding. Not really. <laughs> Go ahead. What is it? <laughs> Yeah, I better make it good. I just gave her another faith project. Don't kill your pastor. Yes, it's good. (laughs) (laughs) So I will. The reason why I know the first one was March twenty third is because this morning I went back to the beginning. Right. And I listened to the first one, watched the first one again, and I watched sections of it over and over and over again. Wow. Because it's awesome. Yeah. Amen. You made a reference in that first one, though, that there was a component related to this that had to do with consciousness, and that yes. you had recently been to a conference and there was a consciousness component, but you didn't get into it in that first session. Can you speak to that now? Sure. Um, your conscience um, plays it, it 
pretty much plays into everything that you do. Uh, your conscience is, uh, for example, if you have a sin conscience, then it's very hard for us to walk in the gift of righteousness because your focus is that conscience. So when we uh, do something, the, the Bible talks about having your conscience seared. Uh, it, it shows us how our conscience can be um, shifted to the point where our faith will not work. And so what happens is we're walking along this path and we receive a vision from God. We're trying to have faith and we think we're having faith, but our conscience is uh, off because of something that we've done. And then all of a sudden our faith is not working anymore. We think we're in faith but and we're trying to apply faith, but it has no power behind it because there's no... Um, gift of righteousness in it because we didn't walk in love faith worketh by love and so when we miss do something it's not that uh, it's a payment necessarily it affects our walk in our our love walk you affect the love walk you affect the faith so when we when it says by faith and patience we inherit the promises one of the things that you don't want to do is you know go and um you know, constantly be doing, you, where it says set aside sin and temptation, that's part of what it does. It helps set aside anything that would derail your conscience, that would derail your faith. Uh, to give you an example of that, um, I watched uh, one of the, it was very interesting because I went to the conference that I was talking about was I uh, went to a, a minister's conference and when I got there, I was on the way there. I just felt worse and worse and worse. And I got there, and I was really sick. I mean, I just, I got really sick and uh, felt awful. And I was sitting there praying all day long. I'm like, this is not right. What in the world? And I tried to apply my faith, and healing just did not come. And um, middle of the night, I'm like waking up, you know, 10, 20 times. And in the middle of the night, I'm, I was saying, Lord, why is this not working? And basically the Lord said, you offended your conscience. And I said, how? And he said, you watched this movie that I, the Holy Spirit told you not to watch. And I stepped beyond that. And it was, it was not necessarily a bad one, but the Holy Spirit witnessed to me not to watch it. It was a Shakespeare play. But he witnessed to me not to watch it. Turned out, I didn't know, but it turned out to be a pretty dark play but the issue wasn't even what I what I watched it was I offended my conscience by going against the Holy Spirit and so when I tried to have faith it didn't work and uh, there's scripture that talks about I don't know exactly where it's at I'd have to look it up but there's scripture that talks about how your faith won't work uh, if your conscience is offended and um, so it's important for us to listen to the Holy Spirit hear from him huh yeah, yeah, amen. She said, I'm so glad I asked. So, um, in other words, we're sitting here thinking that we're applying faith. And, and so I can tell you, during that period of time and in that example, I got here and my flesh was yelling at me because I felt horrible. Well, and I was, you know, it's like I was trying not to take anything. I just wanted to get healed by the Lord and not by anything else, not by taking ibuprofen or anything, but 
man, I was hurting. I didn't want to go around that mountain by breaking my faith with the Lord, but I couldn't figure out what was going on. And um, so he told me uh, what it was. I immediately repented. And um, within just a short period of time, it broke and uh, came out of it, you know. Um, Still, I, you know, I still didn't feel great, but I felt a lot better than I had been for a while. And uh, so the Lord really gave me some relief and mercy in that. But thank goodness we have a father that shows us those things because had he not answered me, I wouldn't have had a clue. But then what was funny was the, the conference I was at talked about conscience the whole time. So that was interesting. That's how the Holy Spirit works. <laughs> so good question. Awesome, Todd. Just to clear up, conscience being soulish thinking or spirit, yeah. uh, spirit of a man. Yeah, it. It's not. It's, it's kind not of defined. well. It affects. I would say that it affects both. You know, um, it affects your heart. You know, where it says that we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart, right? And whatever we believe, it shall be done. And in Mark 11, uh, around verse 20 through 24, it talks about that. And then Romans 10, 9, 10, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. So a lot of people think that heart equals spirit. Um, and it can in some circumstances, but overall it doesn't. The heart is the core of who you are. Um, and it's kind of proved, proven by that. If, if your heart was the spirit, then as soon as you confessed it, the real man, the real you, the spirit, it would automatically happen as soon as you confessed any promise. You know. But when you do that, not every promise does happen because our heart is not just equal to the spirit. It's the core of who you are. So the core of who you are meaning that it's, it's a blend of how, how, what your spirit is if it's renewed your flesh man, how much it is uh, crucified or not, okay? And then your soul, which is your mind, how much that mind is renewed to the word of God or not. So the more that you crucify the flesh and renew your mind, the closer you are to the spirit of God. Your spirit man is 100% renewed. It's a new creation. There's no fault. It's connected to the Holy Spirit. Um, but the heart is the core of all of that. And when our core takes belief on in the promises of God and then we confess it, it shall be done. Um, so what happens in the conscience is conscience is an act, uh, I would say, more of the soul, but it's connected to the spirit when it comes to faith. Those two connect. And the core of who you are, it, the conscience affects the core of who you are um, in that three-part man basically does that answer your question it's it's more the soul than the spirit so yeah a lot of people call the leading a lot of people call the leading of the holy spirit um see the spirit of man it is once you're born again it's not changed you know the only time it would ever be changed is if you renounced christ and rejected him but the spirit of man it doesn't change it's renewed to the Holy Spirit, okay? So when you say that your conscience is affected, it shows that it's not in the Spirit because that's already 100% with the Lord. It's an action of the soul, of the mind. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me out there. So, good question. Next, next question. Everybody's quiet tonight. Yep, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> just raise your hand if you have a question. Even while I'm answering one, we'll be ready to go there next. How many people have been seeing this connect in your life? Yeah. There, this pretty much is everything that you do. And when you go around the mountain and you get into that cycle and get into that trap, that's a lot of times what the world sees as you dealing with the flesh and not winning this. And so it's a part of your testimony. It's a part of your witness, like in forgiveness, uh, because you can be, you, part of the vision can be to forgive. But then you go along and right here, you know, somebody does something against you and you kind of forget part of that word to forgive. And then over here, your flesh and everybody in the world and everything else saying, man, they, they did you wrong. You ought, to, you ought to go against, you know, go against that. You know, I might forgive, but I won't forget. You know, that's the, that, that's the you know, what's the, the lukewarm version of not forgiving. It sounds good, but that's not, it's still not forgiving. And uh, so that, so you may be really having a hard time right there in the flesh where, the Lord's saying, I want you to love on them. I don't care what they did to you. That can be that cycle too. I know the Lord's been talking to me personally a lot about forgiveness. And it's funny because I've had about, I don't know, multiple questions just this week on forgiveness from people that have contacted. So uh, it can be a number of things. Go ahead. You had said earlier tonight that part of a faith project for all of us should be to carry out the vision of the church. How... Like, what do you consider that to be, and how can we carry out the faith project as a communal whole? Does, does that question make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we, we've talked about it a little bit recently, so a lot of people view the church as their relationship with God, and um, they equate it to that. I go to church, that's where I find God. It, it is where you find God, but you should be finding him every minute of every day. It's... It's a part of it. Your relationship with God and fellowship with God will not be full without church because God designed it that way. But most people equate fellowship and relationship to church. But what they really miss is the purpose of church. The purpose is to help them become a better uh, believer and ambassador for God to make disciples. And in doing so, but that's a part of what the church's real mission is, is to carry out the vision of Christ. You know, that's the church's job, is to carry out his missions, his vision. And so when people don't connect to the church and they do forsake the assembling together and they don't, they don't come together, what they're actually doing is they're forsaking the faith project that God's given to a body and their part in it. And they're not pulling their weight. It's, it's actually, when you, you know, very truthfully, you get down to it. When they don't connect, I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm talking about connecting. 
and actually carrying a part of the burden. When they don't connect, and when you get down to it, it's actually very selfish because what they're doing is they're taking uh, the mission that God's given. They're saying, I'm not, I'll, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to play a part of that. Well, that's what the Israelites did. They're like, we want to go into the promised land, but we don't want to go in there and, you know, go to war. They look too big. You know, and so we'll use the excuses today as, um, you know, well, somebody hurt me. Well, I don't need church to get to God. Well, I, you know, uh, well, there's a bunch of hypocrites there. Well, all of that, well, of course there's hypocrites there. They're trying to get better, you know. It's like, you know, saying uh, sick people are at the hospital. That's silliness. But it's, um, and never, here's the thing. What if they were, everybody at church was absolutely horrid, and uh, they were all hypocrites, and they all just stunk, and any other thing that you can come up with as an excuse, that's not going to, their wrongdoing is never going to give you a right to do, go against what God told you to do. And he said, connect and do what you're called to do. It's it's a part of vision. And um, so... In uh, Exodus 18 is where you see where Jethro is talking to Moses and he says, you know, break them up into leaders of tens and hundreds and fifties. And and then he says, and tell them the work that they are to do. And that's where you see, you know, uh, relationship does come through church to make it full. But a part of the vision and the promise is that we would accomplish the work. So what happens is you got a lot of people that have heard don't forsake. But they never give it any attention. They don't honor it. They don't esteem it. They don't value it. Then they have people that hurt them or any other thing, you know. There was a joke that we had. I hadn't, you know, when we first started church, people would say, well, it's it's too cold. I don't want to go to church. And then they, well, it's too hot. I don't want to come to church. Well, it's too perfect outside. I don't want to go to church, you know. And that's and and we found that to be true. We literally heard every one of those excuses. It's too good to go. I want to go to the lake, you know. We heard that one one time. And um, so what? There's all kinds of excuses that will come up. And so what they'll do is they'll just keep cycling and not be a part. And they will not find the fullness of what God called them to or the fullness of their joy because they're missing out on this vision. And so they'll come up to that place, make a decision not to go, cycle back around. They, you know, The next step for them is to go. They're going to keep hitting the same thing. And they're not going to be full. They'll be scattered, dispirited, uh, demoralized. And you know that's, that's one of those projects. Does that answer it? It does. Can I ask okay. a follow-up? Yeah. So let's say hypothetically John Benton yeah. has a faith project because John Benton is my favorite source of examples. Yeah. Um, let's, I know that something that we've talked a lot about here is the first thing is to correct yourself. The first thing is to always get yourself yeah. correct. So if I have a faith project, my focus needs to be on my own faith project. Yes. But let's say that Brother John's assignment in the church is to clean the church up and down, left and right, make it spick and span, and I see him not executing it. Yeah. Not in a, hey, John, you need to get better at this, but legitimately as a sister in Christ, as a member of the body, if I see someone failing in a faith project, not in a teardown way, how can I help get them back on that track? How can I help lift up the body as a whole so that way we're all yeah. chugging along together the way that we should be? 
Well, the first thing is if you're a pastor to that person or some somebody like a mentor to a disciple, right, um, that carries with it a different set of circumstances and spiritual rules uh, versus somebody who's just in the same body. Most of the time, the Lord is not going to tell you to correct them or point that out. Uh, if he does, he'll generally make it strong. And you will know, if you really search your heart, uh, you'll know if it's out of love. And that's what you'd really need to check is, is this out of love? And in that situation, what I would recommend is a lot of times we're raised in a culture that thinks that we should judge what's right and wrong and point out. We're raised in a religious culture that says we should point out what's wrong so that they don't go to hell, so that they won't, you know. Um, the problem with that is, and I've spent some time on this recently, is you're acting just like Job's friends, and they were wrong. Um, they were trying to help him find what he did wrong, and they missed it because they were outside of love and taking them to the law instead of taking them to righteousness. So the Lord will have you correct people, but I would say the majority of the time, probably if I guessed 90% of the time, it would be that you're being quiet and not correcting that person. It's that one point where the Holy Spirit brings it up, and it's beautiful, and it's perfect. And what I've found is, even as a pastor, see, I would say as a pastor, it's at least 50% of the time I don't, I don't say anything. Um, and part of that has to do with the, uh, where that person's at and their heart. Because I can give them the right answer, I can give them the truth, but if their heart's not ready to receive it, I just wasted time and in, on some level burnt a bridge. And I've done that plenty, and I've you know, missed that and messed that up. But, um, you know, you think you're loving on people, and they should receive it better, but, um, you know, I've done that. And it's a lot of times it's wrong. You know. Now, there's also on the side of the person... Uh, I would rather be the person that takes, uses anything and takes an honest look at myself. This, and this is a truthful statement for me. If any one of you ever brings up a doctrine or something that's contrary to what I teach, or you think I miss it, and Nicole can tell you, I will spend days meditating on that, seeking the Lord, and I do that every time somebody brings up something. That's what helps me to grow. So that's really the heart that we should take it, you know, that humble heart in that sense towards it. That's what will help us grow more than finding a reason why they were wrong to bring it up. I use that as a fine-tuning. They might even have told me something that was wrong, but there may be something in there that I could shave off a little bit of corruption in my life and be that much better. So um, most time, most time God's not going to tell you to do that. But he will. And the more that you are humble and learn to be led by the Spirit, the more often he will and can. Here's what I do most of the time. I've seen this work, and some of you, uh, you've, you've counseled and asked questions. You've seen this work. Um, it, I've watched this be proved out, something the Lord taught me some years ago. He said, if you see something with somebody then, uh, that needs correcting, he said, pray for their eyes of understanding to be enlightened in that. Pray that they'll be strengthened to 
uh, make the godly choice, that they'll be strengthened with all his might to be uh, make the godly choice. And then if I'm supposed to say something, um, I, well, I pray that the Holy Spirit will start to open that up to that person. And then if I'm supposed to say something, I pray that the Lord will open up that situation. So ultimately what I do is I take that thing that needs correcting in somebody's life, I pray the right things, the will of God over it from Scripture, and I push that thing away. Now if he unwraps that thing right in front of my eyes and it then and that happens all the time, then it then I can um I've laid the correct foundation to now give that correction. But again, for a pastor, I'm going to see that a lot more than most people are. But I'm going to tell you, when you give that situation to God and pray it out that way, he, I cannot tell you how many times I've, I've prayed about it, forgotten about it. It's not my, I'm not the cleaner. You're not the cleaner. The Holy Spirit's the cleaner. I can't tell you how many times I've pushed that away and the Holy Spirit completely reveal what he, what needed to be revealed and that person make a change. I never said a word. I just sit back and I'm like, praise God. You are awesome, Lord. You know, but then I've had, you know, probably just as many times where I pushed it away and then all of a sudden I'm talking with that person and they go, you know, what do you think about this? And I'm like, well, there's a silver platter. I mean, it's just, and and I know the Holy Spirit set that up, and I can now, out of love, that was the Holy Spirit bringing that around, not me. And now I can say that. And, man, that works so much better because a lot of times we try to correct people. You know, we got the log in our eye. We see the speck in theirs. And uh, we go after and feel like it's our holy duty to go correct somebody. And all we do is lose our witness with them. And we're responsible for our witness. And we push them away. That can be a faith project in itself where God's given me vision for somebody to be restored or renewed or healed. And I want to get in here in the flesh and I want to fix them. And my faith project is to not try to fix them myself. And when I go and like, you know, I need to tell you something. And I've already met, I just went and cycled around the mountain, my flesh, and it generally pushes that person away and burns that bridge. So, good question. Next. This is the most quiet question and answer session I think I've ever seen. All right. <laughs> I was going to say, I know I didn't exhaust this subject or teach it that well. So I know that didn't happen. <laughs> and I don't necessarily know that this deals specifically with that. Sure. But I've got a question that I've been wondering about now for a while. Okay. I know in the Bible it says, the very first chapter in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Yep. Well, my question, my question that I keep wondering about is, where does God come from? Yeah. Yeah. I know where Jesus came from. <laughs> where does God come from? Well, and when I, when I look at... Do you know where Jesus came from? Because it says in the beginning... Uh, he was there in the beginning with God, so. When I think about it, 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 listen, this is what I see. Because 
God created the heaven and the earth, that makes me believe that God was outside of our, our being, our universe. Our dimension. Correct. Yeah. Um, but where did he come from? How did he just come to be? Yeah, well, I think that the answer to that question is um, ultimately the answer to that question is something that we probably can't explain in physical words, first of all, in a worldly words. Um, I have a piece on it, but I couldn't tell you or explain it to you why. But I think the answer to it is found really in uh, what did he call himself to Moses? He said, who should I say sent me? He said, I am that I am. And what that really kind of means there is that he is the self-existent one. And part of the issue of that is uh, that we get into the Lord's ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. All right. Now, we can have the mind of Christ, but a lot of, we have to understand that if we're going to walk in the mind of Christ, then it comes through a leading by the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're going to have a spiritual leading, and we're, those things are spiritually discerned. Uh, so I can give you an answer in words, but ultimately it's going to kind of have to click with your spirit, and you catch it with your spirit more than you catch it with the logic of your mind. The reason we ask that question is because our logic is somewhat limited. We can't really take, we, we won't, we see the ends and the beginnings, you know. We see defining points and we think laterally, you know, kind of on the timeline. And it's hard for us to go outside of those things. Um, I think that ultimately the answer to your question is he just was and he was self-existent in that way. There was no necessarily beginning to him. He just always was and always will be. Um, but there is something in our mind that goes, I don't know what to do with that. You know, It kind of puts it on tilt because of the corruption of a physical world and we're, you know, we've kind of by the curse we had walked in some of those limits of the mind and we don't know how to think outside of that somewhat but yet when I say that your mind's probably going eh, but your spirit's probably going that's right you know and you'll find that that's how you'll know that that's the answer I, that's the same thing kind of with the trinity um, the trinity is an interesting thing and it'd be very difficult to put into words and I, my mind can't quite wrap around it, but in my spirit I can accept it by faith. And it's the same thing with where did God come from. I, I accept it by faith, you know, that he is the self-existent one. I am that I am. So does that halfway answer your question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. would have loved to ask that question because we all feel that way I know I I did and but I don't yeah do you know what I mean yeah yeah uh, I, I, that's a thought that I think everybody has yeah well, how do you, you know you just can't answer it. well and see part of it is on on some levels you're not supposed to answer some of those things and here's why um <laughs> this is funny so we we've, we've gotten off of the Faith, winning faith projects. Now we're just answering questions, which we probably should have more of these. And uh, this generally gets a good response and answers some good questions. 
But here's, here's one of the problems. Why do we have to know why? That's right. The same thing that's in the garden. It's a part of that corruption that says, I want to know. I want to find, figure it out. And so on some level, what we have to do now as spiritual beings that are renewed instead of walking in continued corruption is say, Lord, I don't have to know why anymore. I just take you at your word and trust you by faith because that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And so a lot of times what we do is we limit our faith because we want to know the answers to everything. And that's a part of the corruption, uh, corrupted character, not a part of God. And, and uh, like, for instance, anytime uh, tragedy happens, wh what do we do? Why? 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 And that's the wrong question. And Jesus, multiple times, Jesus, they said, why did, um, why did the tower fall on these people? Why did this happen to Job? Why this? Why that? And Jesus constantly said, basically his answer was a non-answer that said, you're looking at the wrong thing. And pretty much what he points them to is, instead of asking why, will you start to, to look at this situation in yourself? No matter the whys, will you still trust me? So see, it's the wrong question. The question is not, why did this has happen? The question is, will I still trust him? Yeah. Now that's a faithful response to whatever happens, and that starts to answer a number of questions. And that's, uh, But a lot of times people, they want to go, why, 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 why? And all they're doing is following the flesh. They're following the corruption of, you know, of their mind, of a lot logical corruption. They're following the corruption of that flesh Install, instead of following the faith of what the Holy Spirit's deposited in them. And uh, and it's good. We should know. We should study to show ourselves approved. But it's so easy for us. I, I heard a statement. I think I, I might have posted it, but it said, um, we are suckers for religion, and religion is constantly wanting to know why and how, and let me do this, and this output will be. Human beings un under this corruption, you know, we are suckers for that, and the devil knows it, so he's constantly trying to get us to answer those questions. You know? And it's not that the questions are necessarily bad, it's just that there's a better one, and that is, what will I do no matter what, why I face, you know. Does that make sense? Outside of the uh, wilderness, what's another example of the trap that's in the Bible? Outside of uh, the wilderness, when Jesus went to the wilderness? Okay. Um, good question. Well, uh, Abraham and Isaac. And so eventually he, uh, you know, he, his wife brings him his maid servant, her maidservant. And right there, you've got leaving the vision you've got forgetting it for a few minutes and then you've got a temptation of the flesh to to try and be your own source instead of continuing faith in god um you have um uh, i mean you could probably look at abraham and find a whole lot all right but uh you know also where he says for example his father uh tara um, I think it's I think it's Genesis 11. It says that 
God actually, it shows us that God sent Terah towards uh, Canaan, but it says he got to, I think it's Haran, and uh, settled there, right? And so what happened was he had a vision, but he didn't honor and prioritize and esteem that promise and that word from the Lord, and then he settled right there, you know? Um, you can see it in, um, uh, let's go to a New Testament example. Uh, Jesus on the boat with the storm, right? Jesus hears the word from the Lord, go to the other side. So he takes off going to the other side. He tells his disciples, let's go to the other side. Jesus hits this place. He doesn't forget it. The flesh tries to rise up and say uh, there's you know, the wind and the waves and the storm trying to get him to break out of it. The disciples come. They have the same word from Jesus. They forget it. They see the wind of the waves, and they're like exit stage left. You know, they're out of there, and they're flipping out. They're, we're going to die. I can't do it. It's too much, right? As a matter of fact, if Jesus doesn't stay the course, they could have been in big trouble. Thank goodness they had somebody. And this is a great point. Thank goodness they have somebody that knew how to run the race and win faith projects in the boat. And you don't know whose boat you're in and your faith project success, their life depends on it. That's a big one. That's some good stuff right there. Thank you, Lord. Um, You can see, um, I know you were throwing me a softball, but I appreciate it. (laughs) You can see uh, Paul when he lands on the island and uh, they're shipwrecked and the snake bites them. So what's the flesh saying right there? Ow, that hurts. And everybody around him saying, you're going to die. And uh, he said, and he just shakes it off. And uh, he goes on and wins that faith project. So they're, they're all throughout, of course. So, yes, sir. So um, I think sometimes we fail to realize how much of the world that we see is influences our ability to think about things. Um, as a freshman in college, I remember studying medieval history. I raised my hand and said, so when did the Greek Orthodox Church split off from the Roman Catholic Church? And the professor kind of grinned at me, and he said, depends on whose perspective you look at it. The Greek Orthodox think they are the true church. <laughs> they didn't split. Right. And I was like, oh, but you see, I'd never been around Greek Orthodox folks before, but I'd seen Catholic folks, and they right. claim to be the you know all the way back. And so, his question about uh, where did God come from? I think that oftentimes what we see with our eyes uh, for a long period of time becomes the total of reality. Yeah. And we fail to realize that God may be bigger than that box. Yes. Yeah. Going back to the faith thing, uh, you and I had a conversation this week about, you know, the guy that had taken video of people who had gold teeth appear in their head. Right. And I wanted to be like, ain't no way right. that, you know, that happened. That's a bunch of junk. They're trying to fool me, and I'm going to look like an idiot if I say that happened. Right. Well, did it happen? Yeah, yeah, it did. They had gold teeth in their head. Yeah. And I don't think a dentist did it. Well, unless, you know, yeah. we consider the Lord to have that title. But I think I, within that same way of looking at things, want to fit that box 
or yeah. fit the problem or the situation or whatever within the box. And you said to me, you know, do you want to put God in that box of your reality? And if so, you know, does he stop being God? Yeah. What kind of God would fit in your box? Yeah. And then you realize, well, would you want to serve him? I, I'm a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. Yeah. And he is the, the great I am. Yeah. And was and will be. So my question to you, how do we get past, how do we think like a child? I think that's the key. We have to think like a child and throw away all this experience yes. that has built up. Yes. But how do we do that? How, is there a step-by-step -step process? Yeah. Uh, you know, because I think, for me, I don't want to be fooled. I don't want to appear foolish. But do I want to keep the desire to not appear foolish from letting me connect with God? Yeah. And see miracles and have part in them. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, it says that you must have faith as a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. Or let me say it this way. And another one says, another gospel says the kingdom of God. Or let me put it this way the king's domain, God's domain. In other words, I want to live in a place where God has dominion. I don't want to live in the place where Brian has dominion. I want to live in the place where God has dominion. And when I become as a child, I enter that place. And so one of the first things that you have to ask is, you know, we don't want to be embarrassed, but, I mean, it's like Luke right now, you know, he he is not afraid to go up to you and just go, blah, 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 you know, because he could care less, <laughs> right? And that's a child. A child doesn't have the cares of the world, you know. I had a little bit of pressure just not to do that in front of y'all just then, you know. And, uh, you know, and my thoughts were, man, that's recorded. Somebody could pull that off and that'll be an awesome video, you know. I'm, I'm already having that those thoughts. Now, why am I? He would never think that watch why because he has a lack of knowledge well wasn't knowledge that sacked us in the first place you see what i'm saying it's a lack of knowledge of a corrupted world you know so one of the things is to start being okay with that i'm okay to not please everybody i'm okay to not you know um i want to have a good witness but a good witness might look different to the world than it does to God. And I want to find out what God says as a good witness and, and what does he think is childlike. And, and you brought that up in that conversation. You said, you know, I, f I feel like if I was a child, I wouldn't have, like you were talking about, what, what he's talking about is there's some people that needed some teeth and God gave them gold teeth. Well, why didn't he give them you know, silver teeth or white teeth or new new teeth, you know, which he's, I've heard every single one of those being done. This just happens to be, why would he, well, well, who knows? Again, it goes back to the why question and us trying to put them in that box. Well, what difference if God, and see, that's exactly, look, go to Job real quick. Job is such a great book and it has been massacred by religion. <clears throat> Job 
Doom. Come on, Joe. Where'd you go? I'm missing it. Hmm? There it is. I was going after Psalms. Oops. Um, Job chapter 1. So Job has all this bad stuff happen to him, right? And in uh, in verse 20, here, here's the interesting thing. This, I believe, is what made Job win. This is, this is what made Job win was this right here. All this bad stuff happened. His family's killed. His, you know, his livelihood is destroyed. All these things happened so quick. In verse 20, it says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. Now, at this point, you have to understand in history, they didn't have the understanding of the devil like we have the understanding of the devil now. This is part of the reason why Job thinks that God did all of this. I want you to look at this, though. Think about that now. Job thinks that God is behind all of this, and yet he falls to the ground after all this stuff has happened and worships him? Do you know what kind of heart and belief that took can you imagine I mean he just lost his his kids and a bunch of other stuff and this was his heart I believe this is what saved him because in the middle he kind of gets off <laughs> and he sits there and then he starts asking all these questions and him and his friend they're trying to pinpoint the why they're trying to go back and forth on the why. And then ultimately they come to the end of the chapter and God shows up. And basically God just puts them in his place simply by asking, were you there? Do you know why the ocean only comes so far? Were you there when I you know, measured out the heavens? Were you there with this? Were you there? Do you know why? Do you know how this works? Do you know how this works? And so they, in, in their box, they were trying to figure out the why, and God rolls up in there and just like obliterates their box. And it's that point, and watch the response of Job. The response of Job is, Lord, I've spoken wrongly about you. I've said the wrong things. And, and it's not just what, it's part of it was his heart trying to pinpoint the why. That was the, it, instead of just going back to what he did at the beginning and just believed. And so, and, and so this was the heart that got him through. And he, he, like I said, he got off in the middle. But in the end, he came back to this and said, I'm just going to worship you. I don't care what you do. I don't care how it plays out. No matter what I see, no matter what I experience, you, God, are worthy of worship. You're worthy to be worshipped. I know you love me. And I just don't know everything there is to know about you. And that's okay. I love you. You love me. 
you're worthy of worshiping. And when you get to that place, all of a sudden, all this, all this junk and garbage that tries to keep you underneath and pinned down by the knowledge, it just blew. And when I say knowledge, I'm not talking about knowledge of God. I'm talking about the knowledge and facts of the world that tries to keep everything trivial and, and we've got to know all the why. All of a sudden, that stuff breaks off and we can just worship God and experience him the way that he wants us to experience him. And uh, I think in that is the key, becoming, you know, going to that, not asking the why, but the asking, are, will you still worship me, you know, no matter what you sense or feel or see, and becoming that child. Becoming that child, you know, really just takes, um, I know for me, I just look back and I just thought about it. What This is what I did. Um, this was some years ago, really, at the beginning of, you know, our ministry, the Lord, he, he asked me the question. You've heard me, most of you have heard me say this before. He said, when you were, you know, five, six, seven, if your dad would have told you that Hitler was a good man, would you have believed it? And I'm like, yeah. If he'd have told me that, I would have swallowed that whole. You know, why? Because my dad told me. To me, as soon as he said something, it was gospel. And the Lord said, well, your dad is not worthy to be trusted like me. But if you'll trust me like that, there's nothing I can't do in your life, basically. And I went, ooh, and I knew I'd just come upon something, you know. And so I was like, ooh, wee. And I, then I saw it, you know. I saw how all this connected. And so I, what I then did was any time where I felt my flesh rising up and not being a child, I would try to purpose myself to get childlike in that moment. And just go to, you know, um, for example, let's take the gold teeth thing, right? So I'd hear something like that. And, I, man, I, I tried not to be religious, but by the time I grew up, I, somehow it still jumped on me. And um, I was religious in some certain ways, and I had some problem with people doing some weird things. And I just, you know, you got to understand, um, any, I'll show you that in a second. Remind me to show you something about a box. Um, you got to understand that... Um, there was things that I that I was not going to be able to grasp, and like with the gold teeth thing, using that, I can remember you know people walking into a place and you know the Holy Spirit moving, people were all over the floor and everything. I knew some of them were in just emotion, you know, and I would just have a problem with it. And the problem was that's just emotional. That's just them, you know, being emotional. And uh, but here's the problem with that. May, yeah, there were some of them in emotion. They were doing it the wrong way, but the problem was not them. The problem was my heart was not childlike. And so I couldn't even begin to approach the things that daddy actually had for me because my heart was off. I was letting their wrongdoing take me to a wrong place instead of just saying I don't care, you know. You think about that with, with your kid. You know, I'll think about with Luke right now. If he walked in and all of us, the Holy Spirit done fell, uh, he'd have walked in and saw, and he see some people standing and other people scattered all over the floor and uh, slain in the Spirit. He'd walk in and be like, okay, you know. And, and that's the way we need to be. And so what I started doing was just examining, like the gold teeth thing, like, you know, the Word says that he 
loves, you know, he loves to do things like this. He gives us all things richly to enjoy. Well, I, what I would see, I would find myself fighting, why is that gold? Why is it teeth? Why is it this? And instead of being a child that says, he loves to give them all things richly to enjoy. A child would just say, he's giving me things to enjoy. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Well, how's that going to manifest in your life or your life? That's going to be awesome, man. He's going to be giving us all things richly to enjoy. Praise God. That's what a child would do. And so I tried to, once I recognized the discrepancy between my thinking and childlike thinking, I just tried to change it. You know, and I've had gone through periods of time where, you know, I was more childlike than than not, you know, and, um, you know, you just, I, I would just always keep that spiritual pressure on my flesh to constantly keep the flesh at bay, particularly in childlikeness, because to me, the main two things, God's part is to love me, my part is to believe him as a child, you're talking about, you know, that's loving him. You know, is believing him as a child. So that opens up the whole domain of God to me and that I need to walk in to love on other people anyway. So that's a huge point. And we just need to be willing to accept some of those things. And and this was, um, let's say, I wish I had the whiteboard, but let's just, uh, we'll just do it like this. Let's say that this square, this rectangle, represents everything that you know. This this rectangle, inside of it, is everything that you know. And when you grasp something else and gain more knowledge, it gets put inside this rectangle, right? And so this rectangle constantly represents what you know. Well, is there any part of God that you don't know? Well, there's a whole lot. There's a whole lot you don't know. That means that outside of this rectangle is a whole bunch of God that you don't know. But the problem is everything that makes sense to you is what you know. So that means whenever God shows you this facet of himself that's outside of your realm of knowledge, outside of your box, it is not going to make sense to you. It's going to be weird. Why? Because you don't know it yet. And you're never going to know it until you allow him to be out there and be okay with it. So in other words, there's a whole bunch of God you can't experience until you get childlike. But if you'll get childlike, those, those borders all of a sudden will just go, and your knowledge and intimacy, you'll start to see pieces of God you've never seen before and experience it. See, let, let me put it like this. There's a whole bunch out here that will solve your problems just like that. But the reason your problems ain't getting solved is because you keep trying to get him to work inside of here, inside of the box. Isn't that powerful? And it's like if we would just get childlike, the answers that we need would be right there. That's pretty strong. Any more questions? So y'all started slow, now it's popping. <laughs> That's a great question. So in looking at, before you ask that, in looking at that square of what we know, once I recognize that and realize that when God does things, I, 
Uh, there's going to be things I think are weird that I do not understand, but that doesn't make it not God. All of a sudden, it becomes, it, with me having that knowledge, if I constantly try to get to understand everything or make God work within my box, I now have knowledge and revelation of a whole side of God that's out there. In other words, my talents have just been expanded, and if I keep him, keep that box where it's at, and don't expand what I know about God, and don't um, allow myself to be as a child with him. I just took the talents that God gave me, and I buried them. And that's an evil and wicked servant. So I don't have a right to do that. Love says, I've got to go to the place of being as a child with God. And here's the thing. This is one of the big areas that I think a lot of people don't think about is, they will go to links to have a good reputation with other people and not appear weird and uh, uh, to other people and make sure they will go to links to do that, but they won't do it with the Father. In other words, they'll go to links to impress somebody at the cost of not impressing God. So which one's more important? Well, I'd rather go to links to impress God than I would to impress somebody. That's, that is important to me. And, then we, and it should be important to all of us as Christians. Yes, sir. Um, so you got like the faith cycle thing going on. Yep. And you're, you know, you're kind of going in that loop. You got your vision, you know, distraction, flesh, and you're going around. And then at some point, maybe you start to question, okay, was this even really God's vision in the first place? Or was right. this something I thought was mine and I just kind of stepped into it? How can you test that and even find out, okay, was this God's vision for me or was this something that I took on myself thinking it was? Excellent question. Excellent question. All right, so how many of us know how to hear from God 100% all the time and we've never missed it? Right. <laughs> and uh, none of us, right? Well, the first thing that you do is if you're not humble, Right. If you're not humble, then it's going to be hard for you to hear from God. Like on Sunday, we're talking about seeking God with all of our heart. Uh, if we come in with a bias, then we're going to open ourselves up to miss it like that. So the first thing is we've got to get humble. Okay. Uh, to give you an example of that, I had a situation one time where uh, I was going to buy a car. And there was a blue one and a red one. And at that time... Uh, I was pretty conservative in all of my thinking, and um, I wanted the blue one. And it was, I just wanted the blue one, right? Now, at this point, I wasn't really asking the Lord which one I should get. But what ended up happening was I waited too long, probably the will of God for me. I waited too long. Somebody came and bought the blue one, and I was left with the red one, okay? Well... I went on, that red car was awesome. It was, I ended up really liking the color, and it drove and drove and drove and drove and drove and kept on. It was an awesome, awesome car for me. Now, here's the thing. Had I pressed into the blue one, I would have missed the awesomeness of that red car. God knew what I would like. So here's the, what he taught me later on some years after that. He said, had you come and prayed to me about that, uh, and I was semi-seeking him at that time, but not like I would today. And uh, he said, had you come and prayed to me and said, 
Lord, which card do you want me to get? And I'll get what you want. Well, see, that sounds good on the surface, but on the inside, I would have, I would have been thinking, I hope he tells me the blue one. I hope he tells me the blue one. And here's the thing. I probably wouldn't have heard from him or I wouldn't have heard from him correctly because I truly wanted. It wasn't all of my heart. I was just putting on. My heart wanted the blue one, right? And I would have missed out on the blessing of God. So we've got to come in having fully realized that whatever God tells me is going to be best for me, whether I know it or not. And so, Lord, I hand you those decisions. And I may want one or the other, but this is the truth. And, you, and I'd go to the place now where I really examine my heart before I ask, do I really want either one, you know, either circumstance? You know, and that can relate in something like this. You know, it's like um, maybe uh, John's treated me bad or something like that, and the Lord tells me to go and be nice to him. Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle John? And he said, and and you know, he says, go be nice to him. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I don't want to be nice to him. I don't, mm, I don't want to do that. See, I was unbiased. I was biased in the first place. See, we've got to carry that into everything that we do. I'm totally okay with going and completely showering him with a sticky, ooey-gooey love of God and grace, even though he was a jerk to me. We've got to get to that place where we're okay. Why? Because God said it. So that's the first part is getting humble where we are completely unbiased and we're okay with whatever he says. I see this a lot in work. People won't another job and so they're looking for that and the devil just throws them a, a, a trap right but they're not willing to actually a lot of times people are like i just want a better job i just want a new job this job stinks and they've taught themselves into it so much that they're they've gotten you know biased on it and now when god actually says i want you to stay there or i want you to go either one either direction they really want the other thing, and then they really can't hear from God in the situation. And so the first thing is going completely unbiased and being humble that whatever he tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. The next thing is uh, this vision, especially on big items, but you can learn on the little ones, and that's where you should. You take that thing to a shepherd. A shepherd is there to help you see what is God and what isn't. And it's... and you know, once you, they're there to help you see where I missed it and where I didn't miss it and what's my flesh and what's not my flesh. But see, if we're not humble, we'll go in and we'll try to present our case instead of giving it, just giving it to you straight, you know. We'll try to present it or even say things in a certain way so that they'll push your answer one way. I've seen couples do this. The husband will come in and he'll be like, this, this, this is going on and, uh, I believe this is what God's telling us to do, and, and it's that way. And then the wife will come in and go, and I think this, this, this is going on, and I believe what God's telling us to do, and it's that way. Well, one of them, <laughs> probably both of them are coming in with a, a biasness, and that's why they can't hear from the Lord. But when they do bring that, I'm able to help them sort through and sift through what's the flesh, what's God, and then you see, and you start recognizing that voice and growing in hearing from the Lord on that. And so when you have it,
it and you know in your heart that it's God and then you have confirmation of it from somebody who's a spiritual uh, leader in your life and maybe even you know, particularly with husband and wife, you really shouldn't move unless both of you have the exact same leading. You really shouldn't move. That's the way Nicole and I operate and we've done it for years and it's awesome. But a lot of times, you know, people have these weird ideas of what they should do. But if you're both Christians, that's how that's one of the ways that God does it. So let's say the husband has it, the wife has it, it's confirmation, and then your pastor has confirmation too. Well, now you know you've heard from the Lord on that. And and then when you revisit it, you've got resolve on it. So when you get over in here and the flesh is yelling, you've got some real resolve on that original vision. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's a great question. Anybody else have one more burning question? Anybody else? I didn't realize how late it had gotten. Good questions. Well, if you don't have any more, uh, anybody that's listening, definitely you can send in questions and we'll uh, try to get an answer to you. But Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are leading us, not just to faith projects. You are leading us through the faith projects. You are taking us to the place of victory, Lord. You are always concerned about leading us to triumph in you and bringing about the will of the Father in a corrupted world. Lord, we just give ourselves to you. Let us be a childlike people. Let us be a, a people without bias. Let us be a people that's willing to allow you to operate outside of our box, outside of our thinking. Lord, let us be the kind of people that doesn't limit you, but Lord, we, we open up the doors to springboard the will of your heart in this earth in our lives. Thank you, thank you, Father, for who you are and what you desire to do in us. And we just praise you. No matter what we see or what we face or what the flesh throws at us or yells at us, we will worship you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Have a great one. Thanks for joining us.